I am so excited to be diving into God's Word. I love to sing those songs of victory and life and the hope that we have. That's what it means to uh, be born again. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means that we have been made alive. That's what Easter is all about. We're alive because Jesus is alive. Amen? And, and I am so excited to be opening God's Word with you for a few minutes this morning. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Here's the question. How many of you, like me, like watching um, those crime shows, those real crime TV shows like The First 48 or something like that? You're kind of fascinated with that part. Who else is just a giant nerd in here with me? Fantastic. All right. So I'm always impressed with the detectives in those shows who their job is to create a profile of the person that they're looking for, right? So their, their job is to come in and they take all the evidence that they have, whether it's a little or a lot, they take all the evidence they've got and they begin to build a profile of this person. What, what are they like? And the reason they do this is several. One, it helps them to narrow down the search because if they're looking for everybody, they're going to find nobody, right? So a profile begins to help them kind of narrow the search of who they're looking for. Also, as they build this profile, they begin to maybe be able to determine a motive. Why did they do this? So if they can kind of narrow the profile and determine a motive, it'll help them maybe do the most important thing, which is anticipate what they're going to do next and, and kind of lead to uh, capturing this person. So I'm always fascinated with these profilers. And so I want to give you a profile this morning, and, and I want us to see if we can identify who this person is, all right? Here's the first part of their profile. This person is very respected in the community. Very respected. This is someone who is thought very well of. People in the community think very highly of them, very highly of their family. This is an upright citizen. They're very respected in the community. Here's another part of their profile. They're well-educated, personally successful, and a positive influence. Right? This, is a, this is a leader of leaders. This is someone with a, uh, who is a hardworking person. This is someone who is a positive influence in culture. This may be somebody who is on the city council or on the school board, but they're a difference maker in the culture. Here's another part of their profile. They have impeccable character, impeccable morals, and spiritual values. This is someone who has a strong sense of right and wrong. This is somebody who tries to be honest. This is a good person. Somebody you'd want to be your neighbor. Not that knucklehead you live beside now. You want to live by this guy right here. All right? Here's another part of the profile. They're very religious. They, they know and, and read the Bible. They go to church. All right? This is somebody who's definitely going to come to church on Easter, right? This is, the, this is this, who, this, who this is. And this is somebody who has a very high view of Jesus a very high view of Jesus. They believe that living the way Jesus teaches is best and that if the world, if we would all just live the way Jesus taught us to live, the world would be a better place. They even believe that Jesus is a real person come from God. They have a very high view of Jesus. Now, if you look at that, who is this? Who, who do you think this is? It sounds like Billy Graham or somebody like that. You know, it's a, one of those Famous pastors or some missionary that's given their life away uh, for the kingdom. Maybe you read that and go, sounds a little like myself, you know. <laughs> feel like that's just, uh, if I'm being modest, I'm most of those, right? <laughs> I 
Maybe that's you. But here's the truth. This is the profile. This is hard for us to hear, but this is the profile of the person who is most likely to miss heaven and spend eternity away from God. Right there. And I see this person everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. I see them all over Upshur County, Longview. I see them all over Gilmer. I see them in our community. I see them in our church. Good people. Educated people. Hardworking. Honest. Um, successful. People who have deep moral and spiritual values. Who, who, who go to church and, and like reading the Bible. And they have a very high view of Jesus. And you go, well, wait a minute. If it's po- How is it that this person can miss heaven? How is it that somebody could be all of these things and, and not be right with God? If this doesn't make me right with God, then what does? We see a man just like this in John chapter 3. Why don't you grab your Bible if you brought that with you and go with me to John chapter 3. I want to introduce you to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good man. He uh, was a religious man. He fit that profile perfectly. He had it all together. And yet, in having all of those things, there was something missing in Nicodemus. He knew there was something missing. Let's look at the profile that we see of him in John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let's look at this profile for a moment. It says Nicodemus was a Pharisee. What does that mean? The Pharisees were the most respected and admired people in all of Judaism. Now listen, I give the Pharisees a hard time, and they deserve it most of the time, right? We pick on them a lot, but the truth is these were the upright citizens of their time. They lived with impeccable character. They had high moral values. They lived with personal integrity. They lived with a, with a conservative value system. They were very religious people who walked faithfully in obedience to the scripture. They had almost all of the Old Testament memorized. That's how dialed in they were to the Bible. They were considered the best preachers and the best teachers and the most religious people of their day. And that's the first part of Nicodemus's profile. He was a Pharisee. Then it says he was a ruler of the Jews. Well, what does that mean? That means he was not just a a leader as a Pharisee. He was a leader of leaders. He was a part of an elite group of 70 men known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were men who had been chosen from among the Jews because they were successful and influential and because they had set themselves apart in obedience to God and had distinguished themselves in their devotion to God's word and into their relationship with God. That's who the Sanhedrin were. So these were even above the Pharisees. The Sanhedrin were also the cultural influencers. These were the people who 
If you had an issue with your neighbor, if you had an issue that you needed resolved, these were the people you came to for counsel. The Sanhedrin were speaking into culture. They were setting the boundaries of fairness and, and justice, and they were cultural, culture makers and cultural influencers. So we see that part of the profile of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler. But also we see that Nicodemus had a very high view of Jesus. He looks at Jesus. He was very familiar with his work. He had seen some of the miracles he had done. He had heard the way that Jesus taught. And he looks at Jesus and says, hey, man, I dig what you're doing. I don't know if people say I dig it anymore, but, but we're going to bring it back. He says, I see what you're doing. I see those miracles. I, I, I like what you're teaching. I like what you're doing. I can even acknowledge you're from God because nobody can do what you're doing if they are not from God. And yet, listen, despite having all of this, despite having a respect in the community, deep moral character, Bible knowledge, church attendance, cultural influence, and despite having this high view of Jesus, there was something missing in Nicodemus, and he knew it. He knew it. There was a question that was burning inside this man, inside this good moral man. And the question was this, is that enough? That was the question. Is that enough? And you say, well, I don't, I don't see him asking that question. Where do you get that? Well, look at the very next verse. Verse 3, and Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you notice those first three words? Jesus answered him. What's impressive about those three words? Well, because Nicodemus never asked the question. He never said, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do? He said, hey, Jesus, I think you're awesome. You're the man. You're bad to the bone. Those miracles, man, that time you made that, that blind guy see, that was fabulous. And Jesus goes, I'm telling you, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, how did Jesus know to answer a question Nicodemus never asked? Because John chapter 2, verse 25 tells us that Jesus himself knows what is in man. He knows what's in man. 1 Samuel chapter 16 tells us man looks all on the outside, but it's God who looks on the heart. And Jesus was able to look at this man who fit the bill and looked like the part, and he saw right through the veil of the good deeds and the moral behavior and the upright living, and he saw right to the question that was burning like a fire in him, which is, what is missing? And is this enough? And Nicodemus came to Jesus at night for a couple of reasons, potentially. One, because he knew that his other Sanhedrin and Pharisee brothers wouldn't like it at all that he was going to talk to Jesus. But he could have also been coming at night because this question wouldn't let him sleep. It's just burning in him. Is this enough? And I know some of us this morning are asking the very same questions. You're striving to be a good moral person. You read the Bible, you, you, you go to church, you're thought well of, 
by others, you're hardworking, you're successful, you, t- you take care of your family, you try to pray every now and then. You're doing everything that you can think of when it comes to being a Christian. But at the end of the day, you're asking the question, is this enough? Because if we're honest with one another, we have to acknowledge we feel something missing. I'm working so hard to try to do all the right things. Why do I feel like something is missing? If I want to get the most out of this life, if I want to experience my highest measure of joy and satisfaction in this life, if I want to truly have peace with God, if I want to know where I'm going to go when I die, is this enough? Because for many of us, if you're honest this morning, you would have to acknowledge that for you, there is still a question mark at the end of the statement, where will I spend eternity? There's still a question mark there. And you're not sure if what you're doing is enough. So we have to transition and ask this, well then what do we do? What must we do? If I want to truly have peace with God, if I want to truly have joy in this life, if I want to once and for all stop laboring for trying to get right with God, if I want to know where I'm going to spend eternity, what must I do? And Jesus said this, you must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, look, you're a good man. You got a lot going for you. You're well thought of. You're a very religious man. But I want you to hear me tell you, religion is not enough. You see, I think Nicodemus was coming to Jesus because In knowing something was missing, he needed Jesus to try to make him feel a little bit better. He wanted to try to get a little bit better. And isn't that why so many of us come to church? Because when we come to church, we feel a little better. Right? We come to church and we get, hear some great music and we feel a little better. Or we hear a fantastic sermon by a very handsome preacher and we feel a little bit better. Who said that? I don't know. And and we feel a little bit better, right? That's why so many of us come into this place, but I need for you to hear me say, Jesus didn't come to make Nicodemus feel better or to move him from feeling bad to feeling good. He came to make him new. And he came to make you new. And Jesus didn't come to help you go from being a bad person to being a good person. He came so that you would go from being dead to being alive. That's why he came. He came to make you new. And to make you alive. And he tells Nicodemus, he's telling us, you have everything that the world tells you you need. And yet, you don't have what you truly need, which is to be born again. Well, what does that mean? Nicodemus didn't know either. He didn't know what that meant. What does it mean to be born Again, Jesus is not referring to our physical birth. He's referring to a spiritual birth. That phrase to be born again literally means to be born from above. 
Just like our physical birth uh, allows us to experience physical life, and apart from being, uh, you don't get physical life apart from experiencing a physical birth, in that same way, our spiritual birth gives us spiritual life. And apart from being born again spiritually, we remain spiritually dead. Listen, every single one of us, every one of us in this room are born physically alive, but spiritually dead. Every one of us. Born physically alive, but spiritually dead. What does that mean? That simply means we are born uh, uh, spiritually cut off from God, separated from God, and dead to God. These are the consequences of the sin that entered the world in the garden. When Adam took the fruit and disobeyed God and ate it, sin entered the world. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that because sin entered the world through one man and through that sin, death entered the world, every person born of Adam, every human being is born into that same spiritual death, which means this, that when we enter this world, we are not simply indifferent to God with a shoulder shrug. We are cut off from God, dead to him. We have a nature that is opposed to him. And you say, well, hold on, man. I just don't know that that's true. I think people are essentially good. I just don't think we're born all evil and whatnot. Let me just ask you a question. Uh, You watched the news in the last, I don't know, 48 hours, some bad stuff going on out there. Let me ask you a different question. How many of you have children? Show of hands. Show of hands. Great. How many of you don't have children because you've seen the sin nature in somebody else's child? Oh, Lord. (laughs) Let me ask you this. When your children were born, did you have to teach them right and wrong? Or did you just have to teach them right because they already knew how to be wrong? Right? My children, who I love more than anything in this world, they came out with master's degrees in the area of wrong. Okay? So did I. I'll give you an example. I have twin sons, two very handsome gentlemen sitting right over here. They're giant six-foot eating machines with smelly feet now, but they used to be these tiny little rugrats that, that ran around and just little butterballs that ran around our house. And when they were really little... Uh, we were teaching them how to brush their teeth, and so we had these little toothbrushes, and we'd still brush their teeth for them and kept them in a little, little cup on the, on the sink. And I came in one day, and these two very beautiful little boys were standing, and they were just, for no reason, staring into the toilet. Now, I want every dad to just check up with me for a minute. When you walk into the bathroom and your children are staring into the toilet, you immediately know something bad happened in there, don't you? There's something in there, and something bad has happened in that toilet. I don't know what it is, but something's about to ruin my day. I can feel it. Because no kid stares into the toilet. I mean, they were dialed into that thing like it was a portal to Narnia. They were just dialed in. And I was like, mm. So I look at them. I said, um, boys, did y'all put something in that toilet? They had this beautiful, angelic baby look, and they went, no, daddy. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't put something in that toilet? No, daddy. We didn't. Scott. Well, my spidey sense had already gone off. So I go and I go and get the tape. I run it into the toilet and pull back. And a minute or two later, here comes two little Spider-Man toothbrushes floating right to the top, just sitting right on top of the. To- I was so frustrated. I almost brushed their teeth with it right there. They're sitting, 
sitting right on top of the toilet water. Now listen, I didn't have to tell my boys how to be disobedient and flush their toothbrushes. And I certainly didn't have to teach them how to look me right in the eye and lie about it. Why? They were born with a sin nature. So was I. I was born with this. I was born spiritually dead. David said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity in Psalm 51, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are born sinners. We are entering into this world spiritually dead, and we have to be made spiritually alive. And, and listen, we, like Nicodemus, we've got to come to the place where we understand that the one thing we need most, more than I need a good marriage, more than I need a good job, more than I need financial security or community inclusion or somebody's respect or popularity or more than I need my kids to succeed, more than I need anything is the one thing I can't give myself and that is to be born again. Only Jesus can do that. Nobody can do that. I can't work for it. I can't make this happen in myself. The one thing that you need most in this life is the one thing you can't give yourself. And that is to be born again, to be made spiritually alive. And I know that is resonating with some folks in this room right now because you are in this room and you are working as hard as you can to try to feel like you're right with God. You are doing all that you can on your own to feel alive. And I am telling you, you can't do it. This is the work that only Jesus can do. I love how Ezekiel talks about the new birth and being born again. He uses the metaphor of a heart transplant in Ezekiel chapter 36. Look at what he says. Ezekiel 36 verse 25, God speaks through his prophet. He says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put with you, within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Listen, the fundamental problem for humanity is not what's on the outside. It is what's on the inside. We look good on the outside. We dress up on Sundays. We look sharp on Easter. We make sure our family looks sharp so everybody knows we got it together. And we're a decorated storefront window that is falling apart on the inside. Because we have a heart that is made of stone. It is a heart that is calloused and it is a hard heart. It is dead because of sin. And what we need is not to work harder. What we need is to be made alive. We need a heart transplant. We need the Lord to come and take this heart of stone and pull it out of our life and give us a heart of flesh so that he begins to change our life from the inside out and we can relent from trying to be right with God from the outside in. The outside in will wear you smooth out. But when Jesus gives you a heart of flesh, when he gives you that new heart, when he, lets you, when he causes you to be born again, 
He starts changing you from the inside out. Notice what he said in Ezekiel. He said, I'm going to put my spirit within you, and then I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. I'm going to cause you. We can't even live for God apart from God. He does the work in us. And Jesus is looking at Nicodemus, and he is looking at us, and he is saying, you have a religious heart, but what you need is a resurrected heart. This is what we need, a heart that has been made alive. Jesus is emphatic in verse 3. It's important that we don't miss this. Unless a man is born again, made alive, spiritually made alive, resurrected, unless he is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the original language, the emphasis that is put right there would read for us, unless he is born again, never ever under any circumstances will he ever enter the kingdom of God, which means this. It does not matter how good we are. All that matters is what we did with Jesus. Some of us still have this picture in our mind that when we leave this life and go into the next, somehow the way this is going to work out is Peter's going to drag out the giant scale called deeds, called works, and they're going to put my good stuff on one side and my bad stuff on the other. And if my good tilts just enough away from the bad, I got a little more good than bad, I'm in. That's the person who's respected in the community, successful, educated, religious, comes to church, has a high view of Jesus. And they are most likely to spend eternity separated from God. It has nothing to do with your good deeds, and it has everything to do with the heart that Jesus has given you. Has he made you new? Are you new? Have you been made spiritually alive, or are you still stuck on the treadmill of trying to run your way and work your way and labor your way into a right relationship with God? Has he made you new? Have you been born again? Here's the great news of Easter. Ready? Because Jesus is resurrected, you can be born again. You can be born again. You can be made alive. Listen, I, I don't remember my physical birth. I don't remember it. I was there. I know that. Uh, seems to have worked out. Everything seemed to turned out Okay. I know it happened right here in Gilmer. I was born in a hospital that's not here anymore. I was born right here. Uh, wasn't there. I can only assume there was a marching band of some sort and a parade in my honor. Uh, some confetti cannons going off. Maybe the mayor giving my mama a key to the city for having such a handsome baby boy. Some angels singing. I don't know, something like that. Um, I wasn't there. I don't have any memory of it. But my mother has some very vivid memories of my birth. Um, her experience of my birth... And my experience of my birth, two very different experiences. Hers, uh, and so all I have are the stories she has told me about my birth, and she has left out the marching band, the mayor, and the confetti cannons every time. I know they were there, though. Not only do I not remember 
my physical birth. Listen, I didn't cause my physical birth. Did anyone in here cause your physical birth? No, didn't have anything to do with it. Well, just like you didn't cause your physical birth, listen to me, you cannot cause your spiritual birth. This is a work that only God can do. This cannot be earned. It cannot be worked for. It cannot be bargained for. It is not the result, of, the result of enough good deeds. This is something that happens when and only when you come to the end of yourself. You come to the end of trying to fix your life. You come to the end of trying to make yourself right with God. This only happens when you come to the end of you trying to be the answer to the question of what is missing and am I enough? Because when you come to the end of yourself, that is when you're ready for God. And some of you this morning are there. You are there. You are sick of laboring. You are sick of the exhaustion of trying to live a good enough life. And I'm telling you, God's trying to get you to the end of yourself so that he can meet you there, so that he can be what you need so that you can get off the treadmill of works and you can rest in the chair of faith. So how are we born again? How, how do we get this resurrected heart? In the very same conversation with Nicodemus, this man who looks so good, we get the most famous passage in all the Bible. The same conversation. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you want to know how to be born again? For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, really good father, good dad, good wife, great mom. For God so loved the world, great husband, that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world but so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he's looking at us and he says, let me tell you how to be born again. God loves you. And he sent, his, me to, he sent Jesus to die for our sins, to perish in our place so that our sins might be covered. And we can have eternal life, meaning we can be born again. We can have the kingdom of God. So what do we do? He says, you must believe in me. Well, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It isn't simply to have a high view of him. To believe in Jesus means to trust and rest all of my life in him. All of it. Not the easy parts. Not the public part that everybody sees. I'm not talking about the Sunday morning version of ourself. Jesus is saying, to believe in me is to rest all of your life in me. Have you trusted Jesus with all of your life? In 1859, there was a man named Charles Blunden. And Charles Blunden became famous because he walked across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Some people just have too much time on their hand. You know what I mean? He walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. 
and it was such a publicity, uh, a, a public event that had been publicized, 100,000 people had gathered at the falls to watch this man do this. And he walked across, and he got to the other side, and the people are cheering and going crazy, and he looks at this crowd of 100,000 people, and he yells out, do you think I can do it again? Oh, and they go nuts. Yeah, you can do it again. So he turns right around, and he walks back across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And now they are losing their minds. And so he shouts out, can I do it again? And they go crazy. This time he takes a wheelbarrow and he starts walking across Niagara Falls pushing a wheelbarrow. And they are losing their mind. And he he does this two or three times. And finally, he crosses and he gets in the middle of the 100,000 people. And he shouts out, can I do it one more time? And they have lost their mind. They are cheering his name. Yes, you can do it. We believe you can do it. And he goes, okay, if you believe I can do it, then who will get on my back and let me carry you across? Exactly. A hundred thousand people. And you could hear a pin drop. A pin drop. You want to know why? Because all of a sudden, All of those people realized their belief in his ability was nothing more than words. That's all it was, was words. But they weren't about to trust their life to him. Some of you this morning have trusted Jesus with your words. But I want you to hear me say, to be born again means to trust him with your life. It means to get on his back and let him carry you. Have you been made new in Christ? And you say, well, pastor, how do I know if that's happened for me? I said some words when I was a a little kid. Is that what you mean? Here's what I mean. Have you had a moment in your life Not where you said some words, not where you felt good at camp, not where you high-fived a preacher. Have you had a moment in your life where you realized you were lost, spiritually dead, and you needed Jesus? You came to the end of yourself, and you made Jesus the Lord of your life. And from that moment to now, you haven't been perfect, but you have never been the same. Has there been a moment in your life where Jesus Christ has changed you forever? Because if you don't have that moment, you haven't met the one who changes everything. And you need to have that heart transplant today. You need to be made alive today. You need to let him make you new today. You need to get on his back and stop trying to work your way into heaven and let the king of the universe who is alive start to carry you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head with me for a moment. And I'm going to ask that every head is bowed and all of our eyes are closed. And I'm going to ask you to think through, as I've been talking about what it means to be born again, what it means to be made alive, what it means to be spiritually resurrected and made new. As I've said those words, something has been ringing in some of your hearts this morning. Something has been ringing in your heart. And you know you've tried to be a good person. 
You've tried to make right choices. You try to be a good dad. You try to be a good mom. You take care of your family. You try to be a good, you're trying to do all the right things, but you know you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never done it. You like Jesus. You got a high view of him, but he's never given you a new heart. And if you are in this room this morning and you are tired of trying to work your way into God's favor and you are ready to be made new, I want you to pray a prayer with me, right where you are. All of us, we got all of our heads bowed, all of our eyes closed. If you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you know you need to do that, I'm asking you to pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need a new heart. I need to be made alive. I am tired of trying to be enough. I am not enough. I need you. Would you save me? Would you save me? 